Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. We're doing a relationship series, and so the title of my message today is Love is a Battlefield. And uh, it's a great song. Uh, Pat Benatar, but I was in the car with my beautiful 14-year-old and she has the Twisted playlist on her, you know, on, and so it came up. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the title of my message because they, they were kind of hammering me for my notes. So I thought, well, what am I going to call this? And I thought, what a brilliant idea. Love is a battlefield. So the title of my message today is Love is a Battlefield. And I just want to echo uh, Pastor Dr. Matt that um, one of the things that we've, we've fought for, and I, you probably figured it out by now, I don't mind criticism. In fact, I realized, and it was Grant Cardone actually that said, if, uh, if people don't hate you, uh, you're not doing anything. So, you know, and then I love, because I, I've got, it's going to be my new book uh, on Emerge, but straight underneath it, I've got Joe Rogan says that, you know, People who are haters are people that are non-achievers. He says, I don't know anybody who achieves anything who's a hater. So, yeah, so, so you know, I don't mind, you know, we, we get a little bit of hate. But, you know, one of the things we, we get a little bit of flack on is, oh, you know, they're, they're not real serious over there. And Pastor Liam will tell you that we've met, we've met lots of wonderful pastors, wonderful uh, leaders and ministers who set out on God's mission. And they are absolutely called by God. And the mission that they're undertaking is absolutely a mission from God. And they are unmistakably anointed by God. But I can't help when I'm with them thinking, ah, oh, unless something shifts, they're not going to make it. They're not going to last because they don't know how to have fun. They're so serious. They're so serious. You, you got to have fun. We are fun and holy. You need friendships. You need fellowship. You need great food. And you need fine wine. You need all of those things. For real. Let me, let me just say this. Because uh, I didn't grow up in a, in, a, in a Christian home. My dad was the, you know, uh, an East German atheist. So I have an encounter with Christ on a beach. So I recognize, I recognize that the Bible didn't want to make me religious. If this book is making you religious, you are misapplying it to your life. The Bible doesn't make you religious, it makes you real. When I got saved, I took off all the masks. And Pastor Mike Finn, I wore a different mask depending on who I was with. If I was with the lads, I was, you know, trying to be all macho. If I was, you know, over here, with, I was trying to be suave. and Like I, I was a chameleon. I was, because I, I, I felt afraid that I couldn't, like Adam and Eve hiding in the garden. I was hiding and, and I didn't want to be, and suffer any further rejection. But when I got saved and I was accepted by God and His love came into my heart, I thought, thank God I can just throw all these masks in the incinerator and not have to be somebody that I'm not depending on the circumstance or the mood. I don't have to be a chameleon anymore. The Bible makes you real. Not only does it make you real, it makes you powerful. It'll make you fresh, real, and powerful. I've heard that somewhere before. 
let me just also say this as a, as a, as a kind of a, a caveat, is that Jesus did not come to start another religion. God wasn't looking down into the earth and saying, Gabriel, you know what they need more of down there? They need more religion. There's not enough conflict between the religions. Jesus did not come to start a religion. He came to repair a severed relationship. That's why he came. All right, let me, let me just kind of set this, this up. The Bible says that God is love. It doesn't say that God has love. God is love. He can't, he is love. Now, there's a lot of bad teaching at the moment that says because God is loving, the church should be loving. Therefore, we should not be judging. We shouldn't, but, but, but hang on a second. The Bible also says that God is truth. It doesn't say that God has truth. Jesus didn't say, hey, I have a revelation of the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth. Jesus says, when he, the spirit of truth comes. So if you have love that doesn't possess truth, you have a perverted love. If you have truth that doesn't possess love, you have a harshness, and I would even say a, a pharisaical spirit. And so, but truth and love are who God is. So people say, well, I can't believe, you know, at your church, you know, Waken spreads hate. We, we, we hate what is evil and we love what is good. That's what the Bible says for us to do. So in this church, well, you don't accept, we, we accept every, we accept, God accepts everybody, but he doesn't leave you the way that he accepts you. If, if I'm walking along a place, a, a cliff with my, my beautiful bride and overlooking the Pacific Ocean and she slips and, and, and she's hanging onto a branch and she's about to fall and I say, honey, I know you're about to fall, but you know what? I don't want to judge you. I've got nothing but love in my heart for you. Well, we're going to be late for lunch. Did I not love her? I love her. But what a jack wagon I just left her there in that state, in that predicament. Love attracts, truth unravels. Jesus says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So just as, as a caveat, in, in this house, you, you kind of got to wear some padding. You got to get your helmet on and because we love our city. That's why we're here. But we understand that we, if we really love people, we have to tell the truth. And we have to bring the truth. Of, I didn't get, write God's word, so I don't get to change it. I don't have the jurisdiction or the authority. But we want to preach it with love. Somebody say amen. So let me now just say this. Because God is love. You and I were created by God for God, Colossians 2. But that means that we were created by love for love. You need love. A human being that is not loved is like a plant that is not watered. It, is, it, 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 it will wilt and it will perish. Not only do you need love, you actually have an inbuilt need to give love because you are made in God's image and likeness. God is love, but He gives love. Just like the sun is warmth, it gives warmth. The sun is light and it gives light. In the same way, God is love and He gives love. You are made in His image, so you are meant to 
receive love, but you're meant to give love. So that's why love is a battlefield. So we're going to read a story and then we're going to open this up. So Jeremiah, Genesis 29, verse 31 to 35 goes like this. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, when he saw that Leah, the wife of Jacob, was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, now my husband will love me. Then she conceived again, verse 33, and bore a son. And she said, because the Lord has heard that I am still unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time, now for sure, my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Those, those four names come out of a longing. Uh, for those of you that don't know the story, let me do a, a, a quick recap. This is, this is Leah and Rachel. I've got to stop looking at Pastor Michaela. And... Uh, Jacob has two wives and he wasn't greedy. He wasn't interested. He wasn't looking for two wives. He was in love with Rachel. He was in love with Rachel. Like Mikey Finn, in love with Rachel. And <laughs> no, Leah, it's good, man. <laughs> so uh, how Jacob ends up in this predicament is very, very very, very powerful and very important. Because if we just back up a few years earlier, Jacob's daddy is Isaac, the son of Abraham. And the Bible said Isaac had become very old and he was just in his last few days of life before he passed on into eternity. And the Bible says that his eyes had grown so dim that he was pretty much blind, couldn't see. And so he called Esau... Jacob's older brother and says to his son Esau, would you go out and hunt and get, get some of that gamey meat, kill something, that game, and would you prepare it the way that I liked it, the way that I like it so I may get some strength and bless you with the blessing of the firstborn. And uh, Esau, you know, was a red and hairy man. He's like, absolutely, Father. I'll go out hunting right now. And he got his bow and his arrows and he went out hunting game. The Bible says that, that Rebecca heard the, the conversation. So she calls Jacob in. The Bible says that, that while Esau was red and hairy, Jacob was uh, smooth skin, was kind of domestic. No, it's what it says. It says that he loved, he loved, he, he was always in the kitchen. He just graduated from culinary school. He wore paisley shirts. He had some flair. And the Bible says, the Bible says that she says to him, listen, this is what we're going to do. I know your father. I know his palate. I know his appetites. I know the things, the spices that he likes. We're going to get the spice rack. I want you to quickly run out and get a young kid goat, bring it in, we'll prepare it. Just, and, then I'm, and then you go in there and you pretend 
that you're your brother's Esau and you take that firstborn blessing. And he's like, Mazia, I can do this. Because my brother is a hairy man. But look at me, I have smooth skin. I have just graduated from culinary school. Besides all this, many years ago, my brother, when he came in from hunting, he was famished and I was cooking rouge. Rouge de la lentille. Lontier, red lentil stew. And he asked me, he said to me, here, I'm, hang on, I've got to do it in a French accent. He said to me, here, I am hungry. It's hard to do a, a Scottish accent in French. Uh, Give me some of your food so that I will not perish. So I said, in exchange for your birthright, and he, he was angry afterward. If I go into my father and he sees that I am an imposter, he will curse me and not bless. So she says, your curse be upon me, do this. When we, when we kill the goat, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick the, 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 the rough horse skin of the goat under your, your sleeves and around your neck, and we're gonna clothe you in Esau's clothing so that when he can't see, he'll feel and when he smells, he's going to think it's Esau. So no sooner does she, you know, so, they, so he walks in for the scam and, and, uh, and, and Isaac is like, is that you, my son? Wee oui, wee. Oui. I mean, ach, yes, it is. He's like, who are you, my son? Yach, uh, Esau, I am, ach, ach. Your son Esau, the hunter. And he says, come closer. The voice is Jacob's. Let me feel. And when he felt, and when he smelled, he says, ah, the smell of my son is like the, the, the fresh dew in the spring. And then he blesses his son as he eats the stew. And he brings a blessing. But it says, no sooner has Jacob departed that Esau comes in. And Esau, here, father, I got you. I got your food exactly the way you like it. He's like, who are you? He's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm Esau, your boy. And then the Bible says Isaac trembled. And so when Esau discovered that Jacob had heel grabbed, that Jacob had usurped, that Jacob had deceived his father and his brother, defrauded his brother of the blessing of the firstborn, the Bible says, Esau said within himself, my father's days are at hand. As soon as he dies, in no uncertain terms, I'm going to kill my brother or wipe his, his name off the face of the planet. And so when Rebecca saw that Jacob was going to be killed by Esau, she sent him away to Uncle Laban. So he goes to a different zip code. He goes to a different country. He goes to a different part of the world. But how many people know that, that you take you wherever you go? So he gets to Uncle Laban. And the Bible says when he gets to Uncle Laban, you know, Uncle Laban's got flocks and herds and, you know, farm and everything, big ranch. And, and Uncle Laban says, well, listen, I don't want you to work for me for free. You know, name it. What will be your wages? And he says, well, well, actually, I noticed you have a very beautiful daughter. The Bible says that Laban actually had two daughters. Rachel and Leah. 
Now, the Bible says that Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And the Bible, always positive, always kind. You know, God's a half glass half full God. Always something positive. And it says, while Leah had delicate eyes. So Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance while Leah had delicate eyes. Now we're not sure what delicate eyes mean. Does that mean that one eye like was you know, kind of staring at the other eye? Hi! You know, or did she just kind of blink, blink a lot when, 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 the, when the lights were bright? I'm, we're, not, we're not sure. All we know is that Jacob prefers beautiful in form and appearance over, over delicate eyes. That, that it's his preference and he's allowed to have his preference. So he says, I'll work seven years for, so that's what he does. Well, at the end of seven years, he comes up and says, he says to Laban, his father-in-law, Monsieur Fazerin-Law, give me my wife. It's been seven years. It's been an all day's night. I've been working like a dog. And so, so um, Laban says, all right, all right, all right. He says, go on into the tent, go on into the tent, into the tent, and, uh, and I'll, I'll bring you your wife. And, and, and it's the lights out, turn, make all the lights out. He then goes, and instead of getting Rachel, he takes Leah. Are the lights out? And he puts Leah in there. And so Jacob wakes up the next morning. Ah! And it's Leah. Hi. Good morning, husband. He comes storming out of the tent. He's angry with his father-in-law. You deceive me. You deceive me. You deceive me. You deceive me. A Bible verse I'd love to cut out of the Bible, but it wouldn't do any good because... It doesn't have power just because it's written in my Bible. It has power because God spoke it. Galatians 6, 7 says, God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. He was living in a different country, in a different zip code. And because he deceived over here, if you sow the seeds of deception... What harvest do you think you're going to reap? God is not mocked. Listen to me. One of the great gravities that we want to shepherd and pastorally help you with in this church is, is the principle of sowing and reaping. You can't turn on and off, on and off with a switch. You are never not sowing and you are in the constant flux, the constant state of reaping. Your life today is the harvest of the seeds you, sow, you sowed yesterday. But the good news is that today you can repent, change the way you think. You can begin to sow different seeds so that your tomorrow doesn't have to look like today. You can have a different harvest. Just change the seeds. Well, I don't like my life. It's bitter. It's full of lemons. Well, stop sowing bitter lemon seed and start sowing citrus, start sowing pomegranate, start sowing apples, start sowing a different seed and you'll have a different future. Can somebody say amen? So, so, so the Bible says, the Bible says that, that uh, Laban says, all right, all right, I know I deceived you. However, however, we've got a custom that you can't, 
you know, marry the younger without the eldest. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Fulfill her week and I'll give you Rachel as well, but you'll owe me another seven years because you'll have two of my daughters. So it's, he's, kind of, he's kind of indentured and kind of blackmailed to now serve his father-in-law for 14 years because his father-in-law saw that everything under Jacob's hand, because the blessing of God was on Jacob, his house was flourishing. He didn't want to lose him. So this was an entrapment. So, so Jacob says, all right, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll serve you for 14 years. The Bible says that Jacob loved Rachel. He didn't love Leah, but, but Rachel wasn't conceiving. Rachel wasn't getting pregnant. And he thought, huh, well, I've got this other wife. And so he went into her and she conceives and she says, I'm pregnant. You're, you're pregnant. News hits the house and she brings forth a son. In the Eastern culture, there's nothing greater for a man than to have a son. A son to carry on his name, his legacy, the spokesperson. And Leah thinks, I know he loves Rachel. Watch this. I know my husband loves Rachel, but now God has seen that I am unloved and I've brought him a firstborn son. Now he'll see me. Now he'll, the longing, the first longing, the first battle that we all battle is the battle to be seen. The battle to be seen. See, Leah would experience her husband Jacob, look right past her, sometimes look right through her because his heart wasn't for Leah. His heart was for Rachel. Let me just bring it down. Leah did not argue, Audrey, with her father-in-law. She went along with the plan. She, for whatever reason, her Low self-image went along with the plan. She, she went into the tent willingly. She had sex. Marriage is, sexual intercourse is the act of marriage. They didn't have a certificate in a ceremony. When two people had sex, the two became one. They were married. She, if you have to, Pretend you're somebody else to attract your spouse. Gravitas will hit at some point. At some point, at some point you will wake up and the person who you're intimate with will see that it was a ruse. Will see that they were deceived. Will see that. I can't tell you how many men I know who have married and they've got this secret life and this. But they, they, we, because we're so, we're so wired and engineered to perform that we perform and we present this, this image and this facade, only to find that what marriage really is is the discovery. Oh my gosh, you pretended Rachel, but you're actually. Leah, you're somebody other than you presented. That, is, that doesn't mean that you get divorced. Jacob does not divorce, but that does mean that you're going to have some turbulence. So the Bible says that, that Leah would see, she would see that, that 
that Jacob's eyes were not towards her, but his affection, his desire was always for, for Rachel. He, he, would, he would come in and sleep with her, but she, he wouldn't remain in the bed. No sooner had they finished sleeping, he would get out and he would go back and hold his, his bride. And she thought, when I bring forth a son, a firstborn son, Reuben, God has surely seen, now my husband will love me. Every single, every single person longs to be seen. Little children do it all the time. Daddy, watch this. Daddy, watch me. Daddy, look, no hair. Look, from the time that we're children, we want somebody to see us. We want to know, are we seen? In the workplace, when, when, you, when you honor someone, and that's why we have an honor culture. Honor is I see you. And I see what you do and I see the contri contribution. Uh, my, 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 my beautiful bride, I, I've realized over 30 years, if I want her to flourish, then I have to have eyes that see. I have to see, oh my gosh, you got your hair. I love your hair. Who did that? Heather? Heather is amazing. Heather Molchanoff did an incredible job with your hair, baby. You look younger. You look more beautiful. When she goes to Naughty Nordstrom's and she comes back, she has a number of outfits and I get to, oh my, oh, I, stop it. What did you do with my wife? Listen, I married to a 48 year old. I don't know who you are, you little floozy, but you better get, Leanne, I had nothing to do with this. I don't even know who this, and so, and I'm embellishing, but she wants to know that she's seen. What did, I just had my nails done. Oh my gosh, you had your nails done? Um, I'm not really sure about the color. I love that color. I'm colorblind. I've got no idea what color it is. I'm like, but, oh, that, no, I was thinking more of the, no, that color. And are they new shoes? Imelda Marcos, are they new shoes? Wow. No, I don't do that one. But if you could only see the way she loves me, baby, you would understand. She's so beautiful. She said, no, her song for me is, you're so vain. You probably think the song is about you. I'm like, is it, are you singing that to? You're so vain. You bet you think this song is about you. Well, I am now. You keep singing it in the car. Like I said, are you trying to? Anyway, and so, stupid joke. Didn't work. <laughs> to be seen. To be seen. Every single one of us long to be seen. Can I just tell you, wives, your husband, he may not be doing the naughty Nordstroms and trying on different outfits, but if you see what he has done around the house, if you see what he's repaired, he replaced the light bulb, took the trash out, bought the trash out. If you see those things and reward, there's something in us that longs to be seen, but she's still not loved. So she conceives again, but this time she brings forth Simeon. Simeon means herd. She says, surely God has heard that I am unloved. One of the, one of the biggest uh, attacks that we get here is that we have women preach, that we have women on the platform and, and we're, we're, you know, we're like, you know, biblically, theologically, doctrinally in error. We're errant because we allow women to preach. And Paul says, you know, I don't allow a woman to have authority over man. She ought to shut up. And he didn't say that, but you know, that's how they, that's how they interpret it. 
So let me just say this. Whenever you see Pastor Michaela, Pastor Alicia, Pastor Rachel, Pastor Lynn, whenever you see any of our, our women on the platform, they, they do not have authority over, they have authority under. They are under my authority. We recognize that just like a healthy home, you gotta have a mama voice and a papa voice. Well, this is the house of God. So we wanna bring the, the mama voice, which usually carries the heart of God. Well, we bring the papa voice, which usually brings the mission and the mind of God and the two work perfectly together. But when we first moved here, we kept getting all this flack about having you know, women preach. And, 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 and I recognized in, in, in my home that, that the elevation of Leanne's voice was not only essential to raising our children, but actually was, was good for me even though it didn't feel good. <laughs> even though it didn't feel good. And there, there were moments, and I'm embellishing my baby, uh, where... where <laughs> Just to want to make sure. There are moments, this is not, I'm just exaggerating to make a point. It's hyperbole. And there were moments where I would go over and think the Calvinists have got it right. You know, like because, because she called me out on this and she called me out on this. And if I could just mute that, if I could just turn the volume down, I wouldn't hear it and then I wouldn't have to fix it. So like, I'm like, I'm in this juxtaposition. I'm in this catch 22 because I've elevated a voice, but now she's piping up about all the things that are broken in me. And, and then I realized it's actually good for me. You know, God said it wasn't good for man to be alone. And Leanne does the, the, the best comedy shtick. She's like, I don't know what Adam was doing at that particular moment when God says, Oh my, that boy need help. It's not good that he's alone. I mean, is he? I mean, we, we don't know what he's doing. Is he picking beetles off trees? I mean, we don't know what he's doing. But God looks down and says, it's not good that man should be alone. Now, just the fact that God said that, the fact, no, I want you to notice Adam didn't ask. Adam didn't, you know, God and Adam walk in together and Adam's like, oh man, how do I, how do I, how do you tell God? <laughs> I'm lonely. You know, it's like, how do you, you know, no, it's not that Adam's like, Adam's just, he's, he's Adaming, he's happy. He's naming the animals. Giraffe, zebra, gorilla, orangutan. I mean, he's just, he's just coming up with stuff. He's just, just throwing it out there. And it's God who looks down and says, it's not good that he's alone. Here's the, here's the crazy thing. Adam wasn't alone. Adam wasn't alone. The Bible says that he had God. That God would walk with Adam in the cool of the day in the garden. This is how I know the God of the Bible is the true God compared to all the other religious writings who proclaim that Buddha is God, Confucius is God, Allah is God. Only, a tr only the, because when you read those writings, their God is a little bit controlling and capricious like he's insecure. 
Only a secure God would look down at Adam who's not asking and interpret his need that he, Adam doesn't even see. And he said, it's not good that man should be alone. In other words, what God was saying is, I recognize Adam that I am not enough. Now I know we sing songs, you're all I need, you're all I need, Jesus. You're all. And it's, it's, look, it's a wonderful song. Because it's actually, actually, darling, no, you actually need other people. People that only have the God thing, weird. Weird. People that only have the friends, shallow. You need the vertical and you need the horizontal. You need, that's why Jesus hung on a cross to repair this relationship and to repair this relationship. So God says, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper. I'll make him someone comparable, which means that Adam needed help. I needed help. The greatest thing that I could do and the greatest thing I want to encourage you is to elevate the voice of your spouse. To children, when children are heard, they Children are still figuring out what love is. They can't differentiate between I was heard and I am loved. To children, it's one and the same. One and the same. When you give a child your attention, every year, February 13, I take my Zoe out on Valentine's Day. And, and I just sit there and I just ask her questions the whole night. She looks forward to it. She dresses up. She puts her makeup on. We hold hands um, I got her flowers, brought flowers home for Liani. Um, she loves the melting pot, the fondue, and, and it's her favourite. And she looks forward to it every year. But without the food and gifts and all that kind of stuff, what she loves is daddy's asking me questions and he's listening, he's interested, he's heard. Every single one of us long to be heard. Many years ago, I had a... I had a in the very first year of our church, I had a, a, a beautiful Marine, but he was very, very relationally broken and dysfunctional. And uh, he, his wife had moved out. And so he came to me and he said, hey, pastor, can we do coffee? And the church was, we had one location. And so I had I said, sure, I got plenty of gaps in my calendar. So I met him for, so we had coffee. And, uh, and he's like, hey, pastor, I need you to do something for me. I said, sure, you know, anything. Thank you for your service. He says, I need you to tell my wife what the Bible says. I'm like, oh, okay. It's uh, kind of what I do, but it's a pretty thick book. Like, uh, anything specific? And he's like, yeah, yeah, just about submission. And straight away, you know, the alarms went off. I'm like, you're having submission issues. Yeah, yeah, you know, she's moved out. And, da, da, da. and uh, she won't listen to me about submission. She won't submit. And then uh, as I began to dive down deeper, thinking, huh. Why do you need my authority? You're meant to be an authority. The Bible says, and the Bible does say, wives submit to your husbands. In Genesis 3.16, when Eve sinned, remember God spoke to Adam. Eve, Eve wasn't there when he said, you can't eat off, or you can eat off all the trees except that one. That one's mine. Don't touch that one. But of all the other trees you can eat. He passed that on to Eve. The serpent comes to Eve and says, has God really said? She said, yeah. Well, you know, God told my husband that we can eat off all the trees except that one. The day we eat off that one, we will surely, you won't surely die. Because she broke 
word with her husband, God says, now you're going to have pain in childbirth and your desire will be for your husband that he should rule over you. And so there's an insecurity in, in our spouses, in our wives, where they need continual affirmation. And you're a fool, husband, if you withhold affirmation and affection. And so this Marine had lost his authority. So I'm like, why do you need to now use my authority? And then I find out he had a string of affairs and was a jack wagon. And so no wonder she moved out. He says, but I need you, Pastor, to tell her that the Bible says she ought to just submit. And so I said to him, son, you have a pretty broken view of submission. When the Bible says wives submit to your husbands, I need you to understand, I've been married over 30 years to this beautiful Liani. It's gotta be at least 25 of those years since we had any conflict around submission. Like she is the most magnificent submitted wife. Does that mean she's, no, 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 she's flourishing. Well, hang on, how does submission? Well, sub means under, to come under, mission. So God said to me, if you want your wife to be in submission, you don't take the word and beat her down. You actually get a mission big enough for her to come under. He said to me, when you have a mission that Leanne can see herself flourishing in, thriving in, expressive in, having a voice in, partnering in, you'll never have a problem with her coming under that mission. Submission is to come under a mission. When she sees, babe, I see this in you and you're, you're a preacher, you're an extraordinary mother, you're an incredible wife, you're a magnificent bride, you're a great minister, you are prophetic, you are powerful, you are beautiful. Man, you are, when, when she sees the mission, she's had no problem coming under that mission. Because she's come under that mission, she has a voice that I listen to because it's helped me. Number three, oh gosh, I've got to move. Number three is the battle for connection. The battle for connection. She conceives again and brings forth Levi. Levi is where the Levites, the priest tribe comes. This is really interesting because Levi means attached or connected. Can I just tell you, you can be seen, you can be heard, but Leanne doesn't just want to be seen and she doesn't just want to be heard. I don't want to just be seen and I don't want to just be heard. There's a longing for connection. To connect properly, you have to disconnect. You, you, we have a rule when we go out on date night, phones are down or phones are away because, uh, what was that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Oh, sorry, no, that, that's not good. No, I can't believe they lost their job. And to, to really connect, you've got to disconnect. To, to connect with your kids, you've got to disconnect. And I found that, that if my, my biggest battle was connection. In fact, you, you, our greatest battle is, is connection with God. Our greatest battle is connection with one another. Even with our kids. I was a brilliant daddy. You ask Leanne, from one to eight, brilliant, brilliant. After eight, my goofy stories didn't work anymore. My little wrestling them and you know, in New Zealand, they call uh, the belly the, the, and the belly button a puku. And I, you know, and I, on the, ah, you know, 
you can't do that to a 16-year-old. You've got to come up with new tricks. So, so I realised that at, when my kids turned eight and then 10 and then 12, I found that I constantly had to re-engineer how do I connect? How I connected in the early years with Leanne when the kids were little, the, the connection was around domestic duties. I, I found that she appreciated if I fed one of the children a bottle or changed a diaper. But I know what she longed for was she's mama, but she doesn't want to just be mama. We got married long before there was mama. And is she still bride? Is she still my beautiful? Is she still my heart? So to get a sitter in and take her out and connection is massive. Connection requires some conflict resolution skills. You can't, because what will happen when you finally connect, listen to me, when you finally connect, whatever is weighing on her will flow. Whether you have neglected the trash or light bulbs need fixing or anything else will flow. What we found in the early years is we would fight, we would argue, we would be in conflict and then we would do immaturity. Immaturity would be as she comes swinging at me, for not paying the bills and neglecting the mortgage and buying surfboards. And now all of a sudden we got another foreclosure letter and we're gonna be evicted. I'm now like, oh, so I'm the bad guy here? <laughs> and I'd be looking for her weakness and her flaw. I'm like, yeah, well, Thursday I went to the fridge and you didn't put the lid on the milk. So, <laughs> immaturity, you're finding weakness. Now that's, that's how we're taught in combat sports. You know, you find boxers in the first few, few rounds, they're jabbing, they're throwing combat, they're looking for a weakness. When he jabs, does he drop his right? Is he open for a left hook? You're looking for weaknesses so that you can, you, you're not, this is not a boxing tournament with your, with your spouse. That's immaturity. Maturity is, this is, and this is the goal for everybody. Maturity, the greatest way to connect and the greatest way to resolve conflict is actually, instead of coming in, finding your spouse's faults, is asking your spouse, where do you see my Baby, help me to understand, how did I miss this? How did we, tell me, how, I, how can I improve? What, what blind spot do I have that I'm, because my heart is to love you, my heart is to honour you. What am I not seeing? How can I improve in that area? I would even say that in 30 years, Leanne and I now have where in the early years, you know, we, she had knives and I had knives. <laughs> you know, it, it was... Um, Steven Seagal on, you know, the, the knife fight guy. And, uh, you know, that was us, blood gushing everywhere. And, you know, we, we'd eventually, you know, pass out from blood loss. And then we'd make up because we didn't have any more bleeding that we could do. But now, now we've put the knives away. We put the knives away, but we have scalpels. For real. And we sit down and I'll pass my scalpel across the table and Leanne will pass me hers 
And what I found is in the early years in our immaturity, looking for faults, we'd stab and slash each other. But now what we do is we give each other permission. And I've got to tell you, when, when Mayliani, when she takes a scalpel, because she knows that this thing could, the carotid artery, you know, could, she's incredibly gentle. It still hurts. It, it's, listen, like Dr. Matt said, life has pain. Life, has, But uh, Denzel Washington in The Equalizer said there are two kinds of pain. The pain where you learn and the pain where you lose. You get to choose which pain you want. I realized she said, honey, you do this. I was telling the, the 9 a.m. that uh, we came home from uh, Emerge. We had to do the get down on one knee, hold our spouse's hand. Keith Craft gave us homework. Look our spouse in the eye and ask our spouse, do you feel deeply loved? Not do you know that I love you? Not do you know that I deeply love you? Do you feel deeply loved? I've got guys with ink and muscles and piercings calling me going, I can't do it, Pastor, I can't do it. I'm like, neither could I. Let's just, let's just pull off now. Let's just, let's just get, get, get some land and we'll all live together like in a, in a, in a men commune. We'll get lions and we'll kill stuff and blow stuff. And, uh, but we knew, no, we had to go home. And these are, these are tough men. And, and so I remember getting home. I'm, I'm, I'm on one knee and I, I asked her the question, do you feel? And she was so beautiful. It was very emotional. She said, yes, I do, but I don't feel honoured. I don't feel honoured. And then she began to talk to me about the times where I, where I would dishonour her. And if I was honest with you, I, I'm like, oh, Leanne, oh, babe, it's not me. It's you oversensitive. I was joking. Everybody was laughing. And she would say, yeah, at me. They weren't, they were laughing with, well, actually, no, you weren't laughing. Um, so I realised she may have a point. So I thought, I can't see this. So Mike Connell is our, is our pastor. So I called Mike Connell, said, Mike, listen, um, can I have an hour with you? I'm going to have Leanne get on the, the Zoom and she's going to, she has carte blanche to throw me under the bus because there's something here that's been 27 years and I can't see it. So long story short, Leanne finishes, I get on and he says, Pastor Jürgen, as, as Leanne was talking, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you were conceived out of wedlock because I told him that before. My mum and dad got married because my dad got my mum pregnant. He said, this is what God showed me. The reason you can't see the line that you cross when you dishonour her is because your father dishonoured your mother when he got her pregnant out of wedlock. And he also dishonoured your mother's mother and father when he got her pregnant. He says, but the Bible says you were conceived in dishonour. You were conceived in the darkness. The Bible talks about the womb knit together in the darkness, in the darkness of the womb. He says, because there's a darkness in your conception of dishonour, you can't see it. So he starts praying for me over the Skype and I'm coughing and spluttering and spluttering and coughing as curses are broken and all this stuff's leaving. And, you know, you can interview this young lady. She'll tell you that from that moment on, I saw the line. Things, I'm like, 
I didn't see the line before. The line was there. I just couldn't see it. I was blind to it. And the line came. It's an amazing thing that we all long to be attached, but it's conflict that keeps us from attachment. When we resolve conflict, when we're young, we point out each other's faults. If we become mature, the greatest thing you can do is actually ask your spouse, where can I improve? Where do you see? I'm telling you, you will fast track connection. The last one, she names him Judah, which means praise, which means praise. To, to be praised. If, if, uh, if Mark Gargarin, uh, if you were buying a home and the guy says, well, you know, I want a million five for it. Well, how do you know it's worth a million five? What do you do? You get an appraisal. What, what does an appraisal tell you? The real value. Isn't it amazing? Appraise value, praise value. The more that you praise somebody, the more valuable. Children feel valued by praise and they feel de devalued in a vacuum of praise. The Bible says in Proverbs 31, and we all want a Proverbs 31 wife, but in Proverbs 31 verse 28, it says that the, the, uh, the, the children rise and call mama blessed. Her husband also rises and he, he praises her. But watch this verse 29. And this is what he says when he praises her. He says, many daughters have done well, but you, my darling, you excel them all. No wonder she considers a field. No wonder her husband safely trusts. No wonder she sits at the gate. No wonder the elders. No wonder she negotiates. No wonder this woman rises while she's yet. No wonder she gives food to a household. No wonder her children. No wonder because the atmosphere that she's in is one of praise and one of value. I've got to finish because I'm over time. But many, many years ago, Leanne and I were having a disagreement. And and it was one of those where, you know, we'd thrown everything at each other, the kettle, pots, down to the shoes. And it still wasn't resolved. And so finally exasperated, he answers me, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? And I'm stupid. In the sense of, I just, I just don't know the right timing for things. So I just thought, well, I've got nothing else to lose. I've already been hit in the head with a fry pan, so not really. So I said, you know what I want? You know what? You know what I want? I want a cheerleader. That's what I want. I want a cheerleader. And she's like, oh, it's those short skirts. You're not wrong, but no, there's more than that. I said, because I was at the Chargers game, and this was when the Chargers weren't doing well. And when we were winning, the cheerleaders were, you know, you know, cheering as we were winning. But I noticed as we were losing and the other team had like first and goal, I could still hear the cheerleaders, D, and D, E, you know, they're cheering just when we were losing. When we were winning, they were cheering. When we were losing, they were cheering. And I said to, to Leanne, I said, baby, I said, when we moved here, there was no blueprint. There was no church. There was no, I said, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to figure this thing out as best as I can with God. And I'm constantly surrounded by critics and constantly attacked. And when I don't hear your cheer, when I don't hear your voice, or when you join with their criticism, I, I don't. And she goes, oh my gosh, she has become my greatest cheerleader. When I walk into the valley to face Goliath, 
I hear her voice. I hear her voice saying, you got this. God is with you. God has anointed you. God has crowned you to take this. I hear her voice. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Lift your hands high to heaven. You were made by love for love. Love is a battlefield. The battle to be seen, the battle to be heard, the battle to be, be connected, and the battle to be praised. May I just say, if one, two, three, or all four of those things have been missing in your life, everything is about to change. You're in a house where we are empowering our men to not only be aware of these things, but to make these things part of their, their uh, arsenal, part of their artillery. Men, you're in a house where we're empowering our women. Our cherished women espouse these values. Father, I pray, Lord God, that there wouldn't be one spouse today that wouldn't feel unseen, unheard, unattached, disconnected, or not praised and valued. Father, I thank You for these beautiful people. And let me just say, as you're standing there, Jesus did not die to start a new religion. He died to repair a relationship. The day I received Christ, I was born again of a spirit that even though my flesh had kind of proclivities and defaults to old habits, every time I did those old habits after I was born again, there was something on the inside that I couldn't enjoy. It was like, I felt guilt. I'm like, because God had something greater for me. That's the Holy Spirit. When you're, we're not trying to make you religious. We're trying to get you born again. When you're born again, you have the nature of heaven. You have the nature of the destiny that you're going. The destination is locked on the inside of you and it'll help you walk out of sin, out of death, out of emptiness into new life. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, friend, do it today. We've got a Bible. We've got a following Jesus book we want to give you. You're in a great community, but we love you. Would you welcome Dr. Matt as he comes right now and closes us out? Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.